0: Welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Dr Mohammed Gurma is a Christian political theologian whose writing and teaching focuses on religious nationalism, religious conflict, peace building and social harmony. He is a visiting lecturer at the University of Roehampton in London, and International Advocacy Officer at the International Bible Advocacy Centre. Germa lives and works in the UK, but as you will hear, he also spends a lot of time in the midst of conflict zones in Kenya, Rwanda, and his native Ethiopia, where he brings together aspiring and incumbent leaders in government, academia, business, and civic society. Germa and I actually became friends a few years ago, but we have lost touch since then. So it was my great pleasure to use the 10th Theology podcast as an excuse to reconnect with my old friend. I was really glad to be able to record this wise and kind man and to capture his thoughts for the podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's been, I was trying to think how long it's been, Germa, since I've seen you. Ten years? Oh,
1: since 2014, uh, eight years ago. So.
0: Eight years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at you. Where are you right now?
1: Uh, in Sweden.
0: Do you live in Sweden now?
1: No, Sweden. Sweden. Oh, Sweden.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are such an international person that you could have said Sweden and I would have said, okay, yeah. 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 How are you and where are you, where are you based? So I live in West Sussex now near Brighton.
1: Oh okay. I thought you for some reason that you moved to Canada.
0: No, we spent some time in Canada. Oh, we were okay. living there for a while like on and off between Canada and England. But then it but because of covid and everything it just became impossible. So So where are you so you're still at the Bible Society?
1: Yes, I still work for the Bible Society. We have got a center called uh, International Bible Advocacy Center. Uh, it's it's uh, an old name. Um, it is it is a very Western kind of formulation to say the intention was it was started somehow with with uh, Paul Woolley, our common friend, if you remember, you know Paul Woolley. No? Yeah, for he's sure. the founder of Theos. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I know Paul. Yeah, okay. it was it was uh, the intention was advocating for the Bible in a secular kind of culture. Okay because there was a feeling that the Bible is uh, uh, being increasingly increasingly marginalized. Okay. And uh, it is not taking the, the kind of center state that it used to have in, uh, in the Western culture. And there is also an element of, um, let's say, ignorance about the contribution of the Bible for the, uh, for the Western culture and way of life and language and so on and so forth. And then they wanted to start a an international version for that. And uh, I was one of the uh, people who started the international iteration of advocating for the Bible. When I uh, go to Africa and I say, I'm here to advocate for the Bible and they say, Oh, the Bible can advocate for itself, it doesn't need you, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's only Europeans that need it, or English people. Yeah,
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah well, they kind of believe that they have a, the Bible is totally different in Western culture and non-Western culture. Oh, I see. That is part of the
0: reason. But you also teach for Roehampton University, what do you yes, do? Yes, I,
1: I do some teaching at Roehampton, and I did also some teaching a couple of years ago in London School of
0: Theology. Oh, yeah, that's right. But I think, I did I, was it me that connected you in with them?
1: Well, it was a funny situation. I uh, applied for a job and uh, I was offered a job there as a lecturer, but uh, I couldn't go move to London because my family was just coming in from from Netherlands to join me. And it, 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 it became a bit difficult to move back to another place. Uh, before they even settled in Sweden, so yeah, I'm not going to be able to join and say okay, you can't teach part-time courses. And they made a, a deal with the Bible society as a secondment uh, for a couple of years and uh, semesters. Then night or there. That, that was the situation.
0: Okay oh, yeah, because uh, that's how we met. We were because you came to visit, didn't you the college? Yes, uh, yes,
1: I, I think we we somehow met at Theos or somebody from Theos introduced me to you. It was, I think, Paul Woolley himself probably. And, and uh, we, I think we met each other for a cup of coffee and uh, you have been um, uh, teaching a course in, in public theology. It's kind of human identities. And you asked me to take a part and I don't forget that it was- uh,
0: I thought it was me it was, that was introduced you to Paul Woolley. I probably, was- yeah, the other way around,
1: probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, here is the, the story. I, I used to go, I, I was living in The Hague in Holland, and I used to go to an Anglican church just nearby where I was teaching by that time uh, in Leuven in Belgium. And I met a uh, British guy uh, after the church service, we were having a um, coffee together. And he asked me what my background is. Oh, I studied politics and theology. And he said, oh, I know somebody who, who does the same thing. And uh, and he mentioned you. Now. And that was how uh, we got we, we, we connected. We connect. I, I was planning to move to the UK by that time.
0: So you have been uh, living in Swindon. You were living in the, in Amsterdam. And where and and your family has just arrived, or, or how long how long have they been living? They they, they arrived the, the, a few you, years ago now.
1: Yes, uh, about four years ago. Four years ago, uh, okay. they, they joined me four years ago. Yeah.
0: Okay, because I, I remember that it was hard. I think you were trying to get them to come over. It was sort of slightly difficult. So, and you're originally Ethiopian.
1: Yes, I'm originally from Ethiopia. And is
0: your wife Ethiopian as well, or is she? Ethiopian? Yes, is
1: she yeah, from she from is America. Ethiopian, but we met each other in Amsterdam.
0: In Amsterdam, okay. And you were teaching theology in Amsterdam, and you've been teaching theology, and you've been doing all sorts of good stuff in England. Yeah, well. I was. I was a
1: student in Amsterdam. I was doing my doctoral studies there.
0: So, what is your main? What's the kind of focus that you're working on now? I I I know that you do a lot of things to do with sort of multicultural identity and narrative and advocacy for the Bible. So, what what's what's what what are you working on at the moment?
1: I do a, uh, a couple of things at the center. One is leading the research wing of the uh, center. Uh, we are now trying to develop it now into a kind of adding some teaching elements to that or training element to that. And the other part is engaging gatekeepers in a society. My focus being Africa. What we do is we feel that the, uh, For example, Christian political leaders are a bit isolated when they move to the political realm, and they stay away from the church, and they don't have uh, a network that uh, nurtures them as Christians, but also as politicians to kind of embrace both identities and uh, uh, being able to articulate the significance of those uh, two identities, and then consider what they are doing as a kind of ministry to God, but also ministry to the society. Uh, in that regard, my job was engaging political leaders. And sometimes uh, uh, I have uh, a, um, a forum called African Biblical Leadership uh, Forum. Uh, it is a yearly forum that brings those leaders together. They're kind of the church leaders, business leaders, uh, political leaders, Uh, even sometimes academic leaders together uh, to reflect on the value of the biblical principles and biblical teaching to their political life, to their business life, to their uh, uh, civic society engagement and so on and so forth. So it is a public theology work, uh, but uh, with the combination of research, but uh, also engagement. So that was the thing that I have been doing in terms of generic aspect of my tasks. The, the, the area of uh, focus for me is the three areas. One is social harmony, uh, because in Africa we struggle um, with conflicts. In fact, my own country is struggling with a bloody conflict at the moment. Um, so to promote social harmony from a Christian point of view, is one of the uh, theme. Uh, Another is social justice, uh, and another is promoting uh, integrity in what we call public office. So that that has to do with combating corruption, uh, but then we don't use that kind of uh, polemic uh, language. Uh, We would say we promote uh, integrity. So it was, it was a fascinating journey in that regard. Uh, we sometimes uh, meet and engage uh, politicians all the way to heads of states uh, uh, coming together and uh, seeking our support. Uh, for example, we, we were able to bring uh, the conflicting sides from South Sudan. <clears throat> While they are still fighting, we brought them uh, to Malawi. Uh, for this kind of meeting, because there were Christians from both sides fighting. And uh, it was a nervous moment for us when they meet each other um, at the airport, uh, not knowing how they would react to, to each other, because the fighting is still where, when one of them came from, you know, all the way from Bushes. Uh, another one came, a government supporter uh, <clears throat> from Juba. Uh, things happen that, that would kind of uh, fascinate you that uh, they embrace each other. Uh, we have been there together for four days. Uh, they didn't even sit uh, for a cup of tea uh, in a different tables Every morning, they will automatically find each other and uh, talk about, about how they can bring uh, these warring sites together. And that Actually ended up when some kind of resolution uh, and the ceasefire happened ended up uh, finding a uh, Bible study program in the panel for the first time ever, and that is still taking place. So it's that kind of stuff that uh, why I have been doing uh, Okay, I've, and I've and... got
0: some good, I've got questions. I want to know mm-hmm. how you started this or how you got into this. How did you, a, a theology lecturer in Roehampton and Swindon, end up in an airport with two warlords doing Bible studies? I really want to know how you got into that. And also I want to know what happened to them. What, what's happening now after all this? So. First of all, how did, how did you get into the how did you get into this world? This is amazing. Yeah, th-
1: there was a, a program this initiative started in um, there is a, a national prayer uh, breakfast as you know. Uh, I think we have one in the UK as well. But we have a version of that in in Ethiopia within the um context of uh, uh, African Union. Uh, the ADIS is the headquarter of the African Union, like the, the African version of the EU. Uh, so we, we, we met, well, I was not there at, at, during that time at the Bible Society, but Paul Woolley and other colleagues were invited because we have a branch of Bible Society in Ethiopia through that uh, uh, branch to that prayer breakfast. And then uh, it was just, reading the Bible, singing songs, and then praying together and celebrating that Christian unity in that context. Uh, But then uh, these leaders from Ethiopian Bible Society and British Bible Society saw that gap among the politicians. This is just politicians coming voluntarily and praying together, but there is no depth to it. There is no deep theological reflection from which uh, that is coming. And they said, we need to establish something to address that need. it is within that context that this African Biblical Leadership Initiative Forum was established by the British Bible Society, and they didn't have people to run that, and that was part of the reason that I was hired, and and that was that was how it unfolded. Then I um, we found different areas <clears throat> in which we can develop, and uh, last year for uh, no, last year 2019, we have been Rwanda. Uh, addressing the uh, the genocide and that happened years back, but also the fear is still embedded in the society. People live with anxiety, with trauma, and 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 so on and so forth. So uh, we started. Uh, I started with with uh, organizing a book project. Uh, the, the book is published. Uh, the title of the book is "The Healing of Memories." I, I brought uh, scholars from all over the world, the mainly African scholars.
0: Were you meeting in Kigali or were, in Addis? Did you bring Rwanda? In Kigali. You were in, yeah, Kigali. in Kigali. Yeah.
1: So those scholars, most of them being Christians, and look for kind of Christian resources, theological resources, and cultural resources to address that trauma, huh? and also to avoid something happening in the, in the, in the, in the future. And when we first approached the politicians, they were kind of cagey. And uh, we are growing into a secular uh, country. So uh, we can't open our door for uh, uh, kind of religious involvement. And they are so wary of that. But we unpacked what we were doing. Hey, we have got this research in our hands. We are not just coming out of nowhere, but uh, we have some scientific base. And uh, here is something that we can offer. And as soon as they saw our book, they were okay, this is something that we have been looking for. In fact, something fascinating was happening in Rwanda during that time. While people in a royal church were uh, worshiping the the church, the building of the church collapsed, and many people died because of that accident. And that created a kind of, uh, how do you call it, uh, the quality assurance program, so to say that was initiated by the government, that quality assurance is, okay, we as a government are supposed to deliver quality service to our citizens, but human beings have got also spiritual needs, like they need water, electricity, food, and roads, and the spirituality is another part, but there needs to be some uh, quality control when it comes to spiritualities, including church building. That went into kind of clapping down uh, some uh, prophets or people who declared themselves as prophets and uh, uh, apostles, and they give them bishops and this name and that name, and exploiting in the name of Christianity. They said, okay, we are in this kind of situation as well. We need quality theology. Uh, that comes from scientific uh, research, but also addresses people's day to day. And they opened up their offices. And even when our guests come, the government officials were at the airport to receive uh, our guests and uh, the prime minister's office was open for us. And it was a hugely successful event at the end uh, where the fearing side have to come together for the very first time, have to openly speak with each other, talk to each other. Uh, in, in that kind of uh, the, the framework of uh, biblical leadership. So it, it is that kind of, we have got different kind of iteration in Kenya when we coach and mentor youth, young people, uh, New Year University graduates. Uh, our aim there is again, enabling them to articulate their, their, their faith and their profession. If you are a medical student, when you go, what does it mean to be Christian in the hospital when you treat a patient? If you are aspiring to go into business, what does it mean to be a business person from a Christian point of view? And and that was even it was only two weeks ago. We graduated about 156 young people there.
0: And that was in Kenya, you said? Yeah. Okay. So is there any is there any African country you haven't gone to yet?
1: Unfortunately, our connection is very weak uh, with the francophone part.
0: okay, right?
1: Probably the, the language is the barrier and uh, that is the only part that I have not traveled a lot but uh, the, the the rest of it. we have got another uh, initiative that we have it is in small country of Swatini. it's uh, one the, the only absolute monarchy in Africa nearby South Africa. Um, now we have got a yearly, training program for the whole legislative body on uh, what does it mean uh, to be in a political sphere as, 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 as Christian. And uh, we talk about the storytelling there, uh, we talk about identity there, we talk about integrity there, we talk about policies there and it is open totally open for us to go and use their media and and and, and, and they saw the value of what we do in terms of uh, uh, even connecting them to the to the ordinary uh, citizens and uh, uh, we have got lots of connections that we established there which is which is very helpful in terms of Strengthening that uh, witnessing presence in publics.
0: Tell me, tell me about the healing of memories project because you've mentioned now that the narratives, and I know you do a lot of narrative theology and also uh, narrative. I don't even know the word, be therapy for mm-hmm. for for training of people. And uh, tell me about the healing of memories. W- where did that come from? This project.
1: Theologically, it comes from the fact that uh, we are storytelling beings. And the the, uh, the assumption is the whole creation from theological point of view came into being through conversation. And uh, let there be this, let there be that, and and nature responding to God's uh utterances, and, and that is the basic theological assumption for us. But when we are we, it comes to human beings. We are uniquely storytelling beings. And uh, we, uh, in, in our storytelling, we go backwards. But also, we also try to craft and predict our future. And we make also a sense of our uh, current uh, presence. Uh, so it is a, a way of reconciling your uh, internal desire uh, with the external world. uh, But but sometimes that external world uh, might be hostile to you and a kind of Heideggerian where you are thrown into that uh, external world. Uh, But then you need to negotiate with that external world to find your place, Uh, not to be swallowed by the system that is already there. But then uh, to stay you to maintain your uniqueness, but also uh, to be a part of. Uh, that community to be a part of uh, the existing system. So that is the assumption, but then within that interaction, the conflict is bound to happen uh, because of our limitations, because of our fall, because of our sinful nature, we are bound uh, to come against each other.
0: Uh, do you think this is, exist- I mean, you think this is inevitable? Like the the, the process of a person uh, engaging with wider society will always be a process of, of conflict?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, I think so personally, because we we don't come, when we are born, we don't come into a neutral uh, setting. We, we come into a world that is already wired by system. And sometimes uh, I, I was uh, talking to a, a friend who is a medical doctor once, and uh, we have been having this silly conversation why do babies cry when, when they are born and he 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 joked and oh maybe they are trying to say this is the worst day of my life
0: <laughs> i want but, to go home
1: yeah exactly i want to go back home yeah and and, and that, that that has some some element of a grain of truth to that because you are coming to a world that expects you to adapt rather than to receive you as you are part of the reason why we have we, we have that conflict is our attempt to be accepted and the world's attempt to as heidegger says to be they self. that is a, a funny english that we use to become they self rather than becoming myself in that, that sometimes if uh, kind of uh, proper narrative proper conversation proper therapy is not happening stories would emerge that are toxic and uh, that is based on misunderstanding and uh, but based on selfish ambitions, then that would create a problem. So it is uh, based on that kind of assumption, but in the meantime, it is also based on concrete conflicts that the, like, like Rwanda uh, itself, uh, like in Ethiopia at the moment, uh, one of the articles that I wrote recently, has to do with the my fear. It, I wrote that article before, the conflict happens almost a, a year and a half ago. Uh, my fear is at the moment being realized uh, because it is happening because of uh, toxic memory that is being passed on uh, by uh, generations. And uh, uh, it is sometimes passed on through well-articulated manner, but sometimes it is passed through in the kitchen table uh, and, and silly jokes, the way we paint each other the way we characterize each other, then that becomes toxic, and that becomes part of the world that that you live in. And and that is part of the reason that we wanted to uh, produce this book, to sort of combat uh, that toxic narrative, toxic uh, memories.
0: So you think of, when you say memories, healing memories, are you talking about the, the kind of memories that are handed down, from one generation to the next, the, the kinds of stories that we're born into and then we're told, this is, how, this is how we act. This is how people like us act. This is who we love. This is who we hate. Are you talking about those kind of memories, those kind of inherited memories of, of culture?
1: Yes, but, but yeah. Memory is a, a way of being as, as humans as well. It's, it goes further. And like Plato says, it's a, a wax in the sword. We live interpreting and reinterpreting and reformulating and formulating those memories. Uh, So uh, when we have a memory that is uh, positive, it produces what I would call a uh, sort of a a constructive and a restorative nostalgia. Nostalgia that helps you to go forward in a positive
0: way. Okay, I really want to talk about this. Yeah, I've been hearing, I've been thinking about nostalgia a lot and hearing about it. So before we talk about constructive nostalgia, what is destructive nostalgia? When, when does nostalgia go, when is it bad? What does that look like?
1: Nostalgia is dangerous when it is strictly regionalized. And what I mean by that is when identities are constructed in such a way that inhibits you from having interaction having conversation, uh, forming an overlapping narrative with whom you might consider to be other, that, that is a kind of dangerous nostalgia, because it holds you back, it uh, makes you leave, abide in the past.
0: Is this why you don't like multiculturalism very much? Because I've been reading yes. some of your work, and you in the nicest possible way you argue against multiculturalism and is it because of this yes, regional I nostalgia think, based way of yeah
1: doing it? yeah, yeah it's, it's my worry that multiculturalism might create a compartmentalization in our society it looks that you are travelling in the same direction but uh, people in different compartments might not sufficiently communicate with each other and then you live with suspicion and it fosters, it creates an atmosphere of suspicion of what are the people in the other compartment thinking about me? Then you fill that gap with the story of suspicion that would might build. If the train shakes, okay, that shake is might. it might be an attempt to attack me. And you fill that gap. That that is exactly what is happening in Africa. That's exactly what happened in Rwanda. Because Hutus and Tutsis uh, are people, the same people, (laughs) speaking the same language, living in the same culture. Then that narrative created that compartment. And then Tutsis are considered to be aliens. Uh, Look at their nose. They have got a smaller nose and smaller lips. So they are not really uh, Rwandese. They might have come from somewhere. And that narrative went to the end, all the way to characterizing them as cockroaches. It doesn't help the Rwandis understand uh, each other in their terms, it doesn't allow them to enter into each other's world, but then it compartmentalized them, locked them down on their own compartments. So that is part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit anxious the uh, outcome of uh, multiculturalism
0: because it's it almost always starts from a position of wanting to affirm right so we want to affirm all the different groups that live in this one country or live together and we want to sort of uh, endorse and celebrate everyone but we end up creating identities which are you're Mm -hmm. you are primarily now an Ethiopian or you're primarily a a scott or something and so you you can't really think outside of your bubble because you're always told that you have to belong into just this one narrative that we are giving you right
1: yeah correct uh, what well, i have to add that it has got its own value though uh, its value is um it brings what i think jonathan Sachs would call as the dignity of difference
0: right but jonathan Sachs doesn't like multiculturalism very much I no <laughs>
1: No, no, he doesn't. Well, he values it as well, but right. he, he says it has it has its own heydays, but those days are now gone. Okay, so we need to move on to something else.
0: So what? So what is the something else? What is the constructive nostalgia that you were talking about then? Like, how would you, if you don't like the narrative of multiculturalism, what what would you like to put in its place?
1: Well, I I, I was arguing in that article for narrative healing based on rationality. When I uh, say rationality, it looks like a a Western conception. Uh, That is something that I I often strongly uh, argued against because rationality is an important part of being human. It is not a a cultural thing, it is a human thing. Uh, But then uh, we could only argue how does it reflect a different culture? Uh, There are Western manifestation of rationalities, but there might be Middle Eastern version of rationalities. Even in, I I grew up in a culture that is, that you might call quite primitive. And uh, uh, when I went to school, you could hardly find uh, anybody who had gone beyond sixth grade in my my, uh, village. But then, when something happens within that village, within that society, uh, I remember once I, as, as, as a kid, somebody bought a tape recorder. It was a new machine. It was a new thing for the whole. We cherished it, it's, it's for us because everything is communal and it was, it, was, it was stolen. And then the owner of that tape recorder came to the elders, oh, my tape recorder is stolen. And then what they do was uh, they, uh, okay, let's come together under a, um, a fig tree. That is a, a court or a meeting place or a place of deliberation, very important stage, or you could say that very important public sphere uh, in their context. They gave uh, a stage for different reflections and different theories as to how and why and who might have uh, stolen this. And the last resolution was that the tape recorder should be returned to the uh, rightful owner. And otherwise, and this is where we differ from from the Western, the investigation and everything, and the deliberation was probably quite similar. But at the end, if this person is not returning this tape recorder, next month we will come back and we will put curse on that person. And and, uh, I remember next morning, the tape recorder was in front of the uh, the, the door of uh, uh, the the, the, uh, the rightful owner. So what I'm trying to say is there was palpable element of rationality to the way they went uh, to address that issue. Uh, But then the manifestation is uh, different. In our society, reason should be something that dictates our interaction, but not as constructed by uh, one cultural uh, uh, group. So with what Reason does is it creates a space in which people would come without any inhibition, without undoing their backgrounds, without undoing their religiosity and their cultural upbringings, and then channel their story in a way that is invitational i have opened my world but also open youth. and it is within that open conversation invitational rationality rationality or in that space that, that common story would emerge that story that uh, weaves element, elements of different uh, cultural groups
0: because no no group ever is really separate from each other you know like this there is exactly. such a thing as a narrative that is pure from not being mixed with anybody else's like every every culture just borrows so much from someone else or has influenced someone else that it's impossible to tell these stories without involving multiple Yeah exactly cultures. exactly
1: yeah. exactly there is but it's, it's when you see the narratives from uh far right uh, for example in the past uh, few years in America even in the UK in different parts of uh, europe it's as if nativity is not a fallacy, but it's a real thing. Uh, so there was this tendency of bringing back that, uh, that nativism, uh, I'm, I'm pure native, so I'm threatened by uh, the uh, religious and cultural newcomers. So we need to conserve our identity because we are under attack. There is that kind of narrative. When people live in a fear, it is easy to buy into uh, that kind of uh, narrative. I would always say, uh, there, there, there are two identities. The, the, the kind of identity that I uh, try to paint in that rational invitational rational context is a sublime but very synthetic, very sensitive sort of identity. It is the most graduated, uh, kind of identity but when that sensitive and 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 very sublime manifestation of identity is attacked humans usually try to escape to the most concrete aspect of identity that is your nativity your ethnicity or your religiosity so what i see globally is people trying losing faith on this sublime aspect of identity and then trying to get back to 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 the, to the most concrete protection
0: you must experience this personally all the time because your your name is mohammed right but you're exactly. not you're not muslim so <laughs> just introducing yourself at a party in england yeah. well in any part of the world you immediately come up against this because you are like the living embodiment of intercultural cross communication in your own self.
1: Yeah, that, that's very true because negotiation was a huge part of my uh, upbringing and a huge part of my experience uh, from since when I was 11, when I uh, I, I became a Christian. Uh, so I had to uh, live in, in, in this interconnection of uh, two uh, identities. I still at the airports. I fly a lot uh, with the Bible Society work. I was always treated as, as a Muslim. So I know what Muslim passed through. It is sometimes it's quite diabolical what you face at the airports. I, I I can tell you. Yeah. So
0: it doesn't make uh, your life easier or harder when, when you also then tell them that you are work for the Bible Society.
1: It is it is funny. I have got lots of funny. stories. Okay? Even in Africa, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the uh, the airport in in Nairobi, in Jomo Kenyatta Airport. And uh, uh, at the checkpoint, there was a lady. She saw my my passport. Why are you here? Uh, I said, I'm here with the Bible Society work. What Bible are you talking about? Yes, I do work for the British Bible Society. I'm here for the Bible Society work. No, I'm not going to buy that story. Do you have anything to prove? And the only thing I have was my business card tying my name with the, with the British Bible Society. She became even more suspicious. And, <laughs> and she had to drag me alone. And then she, she said, are you born again? <laughs> and, I, and I said, are you a pastor? And <laughs> And she 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 was slightly annoyed, and she took my detail and hotel number, uh, but you know, the hotel name and everything.
0: Yeah. And and
1: she let me go.
0: But isn't that that is to me that is like the demonstration of the truth you've of what you've just been talking about, which is we just mm. are so profoundly uncomfortable with someone that appears to transgress the little box that we want to put everyone in that. We almost are, she just was forcing you to choose a bubble to live inside, right? She exactly. Couldn't believe that you might not. So what for you is your sublime? You talked about transcending the, the kind of nativist angle. What is your sublime reason then? What, what When people ask, or when you're given the opportunity to talk about your identity that transcends the, the more obvious stuff, what do you say?
1: For me, the sublime is not hiding who I am uh, in the first place. That is how I start i need to expose and uh, with a good level of confidence i have to expose who i am and I, I i in my experience even with muslims that was very much valued the fact that i tell uh, with no inhibition that, that i am christian but coming from a, a you already Muslim had family. self
0: Awareness and you are yes. articulating to yourself what you yes. what you wanted to project into. Yes,
1: that that is a starting point because I see this uh, sublime uh, uh, rational space as a space of uh, covenant. Let's say uh, in 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 some sense. So, in order to enter covenant, what is required is not hiding your Negotiating points, but exposing it, you come to covenant, not despite the difference, but because of it. That honesty is very much valued in my experience wherever I go. when I tell who I am, uh, people from a different angle, even though they 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 feel their displeasure that they have been. Many times that uh, Muslim brothers and sisters have been shocked and I have—I was to no, you cannot change uh, your name or your, your religion from uh, Islam to Christianity. And I, how come I, because I chose, I was at the age that I can't choose. And he said, no, your father, when you were born, must have picked you up and shouted in your ears, Allahu Akbar, a number of times. And that would seal your faith as a Muslim, but uh, your father must have done something wrong. <laughs> when when you were born <laughs> that, that, that kind of explanation once you lay down your difference, then you graciously open your world to others uh, that is in, in other words, recognition of the other. so we uh, have a lot to contribute to each other or we must have contributed for for example, for Muslims, the Islamic world has made tremendous contribution to the world like mm-hmm. maths science and uh, other discoveries came from from the islamic world and you need to uh, recognize that is a kind of a, a extreme a, a illustration but recognize the presence of the other the identity of the other the difference of the other then when that recognition happens and you open up to each other and you you open up to I don't like the word toleration, but to accept uh, each other. The tolerance is uh, uh, as if somebody is impinging on you, on your freedom, on you, but uh, accepting is more uh, opening up.
0: Is this the, where does the healing come from? What, why did you use the word healing for this kind of activity?
1: I think healing assumes that there is some sort of ailment and the uh, reason for ailment is rejection, many times or a sense of rejection, even though they might not be actually rejected, but there is some, to go back to that illustration of metaphor of compartment. Uh, When you live in that compartment, it it is easy to feel or to construct that sense of rejection, because you have uh, never met met each other. Rejection causes social and individual ailment, and that that healing happens or that element is addressed when some sort of mending has taken place between the two groups. In Ethiopian language, we we have got a a, a saying called uh, which means uh, human beings are medicine to another human beings, to other human beings. So when you come together with honesty and with acceptance, with invitation, then that is the cause of healing. It is about bringing uh, people together. Uh, I, I could uh, talk about lots of illustration from my side and uh, from from what I read and from my experience, but one of them to, to, to mention, uh, I don't want to take lots of time from you. Once I was in a small town called the in the Northern part of Ethiopia, there were young Muslim, I was there to teach biblical interpretation for a group of Christian leaders and church pastors, uh, lay ministers. They were playing ping pong with table tennis. <clears throat> and I, I I loved playing table tennis during those days. I, I wanted to play with these guys who are supposed to be Muslims. And I asked them I, uh, at the lunch break, I want to talk, I want to go and uh, play with them. And they said, No, 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 no you are here as a christian don't do that because we are well guarded here and the boundaries are clear uh, so don't cross uh, that boundary and that even given more gave me more uh, motivation to to, um, to to step over that boundary and i uh, went and played them we didn't exchange a word we played only for 15 minutes and next day i went there we did the same thing and uh, that happened for for a week. All this time, we didn't have any exchange. And at the last day, there was a Muslim celebration and they came very politely to me. "Uh, We would like you to uh, to take you to our celebration. I mean, it it means a lot that you came to us and to play, but as a kind of way of reciprocating, we we would like to take you to that celebration. I say, I have got another program, sorry, I couldn't join you, uh, but I would love to, to do that. They asked me, when are you leaving this town? And I, uh, I I um <laughs> I told them that it's a rural town. I couldn't believe what I saw next morning. They were there at the door early in the morning, the day I was leaving, with a horse because there was no transportation there to check me where I can catch a bus.
0: And all you did was play ping pong with exactly
1: them. invitation. I shared that space because before they used they didn't exchange words. These Christians, didn't say anything bad about them, but there was this ideal boundary there uh, be, between them. And, and, and it is about creating that common space and then and, and passing that boundary and then uh, being intentional.
0: Can I, I, so you've done this conflict resolution and, and creative healing of memories. You've, you've done it in Kenya, you've done it in Rwanda, you've done it in Ethiopia. But Germa, you also talk about Brexit and you live in the UK. You've been living here during Brexit. Have you ever what what kind of how can you help? Can you help us? (laughs) How can you help us talk about Brexit? (laughs) How how do you talk about those kinds of divisions? And I guess for American listeners, the the whole red state, blue state type ideas, I mean, how how does this narrative healing happen? Have you found amongst people who are living in ideological differences that haven't broken out into f- open warfare? But
1: can I help? No. Um...
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is your view of Brexit <laughs> now? Like, yeah. what have you What do you see happening in, in the UK with the, with this conversation?
1: I lived in um, in the US for for over a year in in, uh, in Connecticut, New Haven, when I did my postdoctoral studies a year when i uh, somebody sees me, uh, the American white people see me coming on their way, they used to change the lane, knowing me that I am a black person. and I have seen that a few times in in Sweden as well people uh, i i have i have I have seen uh, <laughs> one day uh, a lady jumping over the fence because I have been just coming on their way in a very small lane, uh, walking alley. <laughs> and and uh, uh, funny thing after the uh, Brexit, I was the one who was changing the lane or uh, jumping yeah. the fence.
0: So <laughs> 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 <Such, such,
1: laughs> <laughs> was the change of dynamics there. But saying that, I think there needs to be a recognition of fear the fear of those who are anxious about the newcomers is genuine.
0: The fear is genuine, yeah. Yeah,
1: I think you, there has to be a recognition, whether it is founded on fact or not, that is a different conversation. Right. Yeah. But the fear itself, that lady should not have jumped over that fence if she didn't have some, some urge uh, to tell her there is a danger there. Yeah. Whether whether that danger is painted in her mind in the wrong or right way, that is a different conversation. That field needs to be recognized. On the other hand, we need to unmask also the ideological element. Uh, I'm not a fan of ideologies because ideologies are ideas absolutized uh, to the benefit of some class. When you unmask ideology, you might discover the human element in that. I cannot ask people not to fear, but then what I would ask is to come together to interrogate that source of fear that they are having. Unfortunately, we are at a time that that kind of conversation is very difficult to generate from a kind of political apparatus uh Because that is a very divided area. But for me, the more amicable uh, or the more viable starting point is starting from the neighborhood. For example, I live in a house just nearby a British lady, uh, seventy-five years old, very kind human person that I know. And she, when we moved in, she might have the same kind of anxiety. But then. Uh, we built trust. What we did was uh, we had several kids. We, oftentimes, we fly back and forth to the Netherlands because uh, my kids have got their grandfather there. And we leave our kids with her, intentionally. That, that, that's not, we have got no Ethiopian in Sweden where we can't live, but she is our immediate uh, human being there in, in, in our proximity. So that's, oh, Okay to leave this kid with me, there there should be a level of trust and that trust would be reciprocated. It is in that concrete human level that the powerful story that can impact a nation can be be given birth. I think that that is one uh, area. And the other area is starting from schools because people send their, their kids to school. And the kids would come with the story. The kids are uh, blind initially to this kind of conversation that we have. What, what they see is another child there, and they don't care about their color or their uh, the uh, uh their background and culture and religion. And my son would come. I I I met Hamza, a Pakistani uh, friend, and I like him. He loves football, and and then. That relationship builds also goes to their part. And that is another place. So we need to start with the recognition, then opening up, then having interaction. So it needs intentionality, it needs commitment. But it is possible to, to do that, especially in the Western culture, because we, we have got all sorts of resources here. Uh, wh- what it needs is uh something that moves and churches are uh are another place unfortunately i am it's heartbreaking what, what, to see what happens in, in in some of the churches when you see very very strong polarization and christian organization in church some of them even going all the way to give theological justification to brexit and theological justification to this fear and so on and so forth rather than bringing the bridge but those three areas neighborhood school and the churches are the good place to to, to start.
0: Places, yeah, I mean it's interesting isn't it that like where when a church goes bad the reason it's gone bad is is always precisely because they're retreating into that compartmentalization, Mm -hmm. right? Yes,
1: Uh, also the church uh, losing its place of leadership when it comes to that uh, moral and uh, social issues.
0: Yeah.
1: Always kind of uh, following uh, For example, a couple of days ago, I was uh, contacted uh, in relation to what is happening in Ethiopia by uh, a church organ, which is based in the UN office in in Geneva. Mm -hmm. They said the UN Human Rights Convention is sitting together in Geneva today to deliberate on something in Ethiopia, and we are waiting for the UN body to make that kind of uh, deliberation. And uh, we are waiting to make uh, our own following what is happening in the UN. This is a church organization. And and that that is heartbreaking to me. It doesn't have a vision of its own. It doesn't have an input of its own. It is just being dictated by uh, other leading organizations. I think the church needs to take leadership uh, in terms of being example, but in terms of providing narrative, when it comes to the issues like Brexit, I mean, we might not go into the area of legislation; that is a different area. But in terms of narrative, in terms of healing, I think the church needs to take up its leadership,
0: especially as a voice or as a space that you can live in without fear. Like you, like you said before, you you look, you recognize the fear that is motivating people, and you name it. You 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 shine a light onto it and you acknowledge the fear and then you start to have a conversation about that right but right now you get a lot of people who are motivated by fear and yet nobody ever talks about it or it's never named Mm. and so people Mm. are being gripped by something that they're not allowed to acknowledge Mm. Mm. you feel like at its best the church could be a space where that gets talked about right In in a safe place but doesn't always happen but when it does happen it's really lovely <laughs> it is. but that could be the leadership so rather than leadership in terms of we must choose a political side it could be we must we're going to show leadership by not being fear by not being scared mm. right
1: mm.
0: what's happening uh, as we come into land gurma what's uh what's on the horizon for you what, what kind of projects are you working on right now
1: at the moment we are working towards uh strengthening the center uh-huh. As I said, we are planning to add the more uh, training element, uh, especially uh, providing training for uh, Christians uh, in the area of in the areas that the theological seminaries u- usually do not address
0: yeah right yeah
1: uh, in, a, in a kind of conventional sense uh, you like mean like uh, leadership, skills, yeah, the government. The leadership and the business and uh, civic organization, for example, what does it mean to be a citizen uh, from a Christian point of view? Because we all exist in, in a political system, whether we like it or not. We need a deliberate reflection on those areas. So we, pro- we, we try to address those gaps by uh, crafting, formulating uh, courses and uh, trainings to address those issues uh for example theology of economics or so theology of business and theology a political theology and that kind of uh, stuff that is kind of courses that we are developing at the moment I'm, I'm 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 developing curriculum for that
0: oh wow and where could listeners go if they wanted to read some of your stuff where where can they go to find out more about you academic uh, uh
1: stuff would be found in google scholar obviously uh but also i i write uh quite extensively political commentary in in, in Ethiopian politics. There is a good uh, uh, outlet called The Conversation. The Conversation is a university-sponsored outlet that combines research and uh, news. So I have about 11 or 12 articles. And there, in fact, I I wrote uh, one article recently on on, uh, what... uh, Church could the role church could play in Ethiopian politics uh, in terms of peace building and reconciliation. Uh, only a few weeks ago.
0: So, wow, I I will put uh, links to your to the Google your Google Scholar page on the uh, in the show notes, and I'll yeah, make I can also send the conversation
1: link. You. Or if you
0: could, and uh, send me if you send me the conversation link as well. We'll make it very easy for people to find you uh mohammed garma thank you so much for joining us on ted theology i've really enjoyed it and i think i'd like to continue that we'll have to come back again and and talk specifically about ethiopian politics and you can teach me about ethiopia right now because i don't know what's going on there i'd love to hear more about that i'd be happy but until then, uh, uh, happy Christmas. And so we're recording this just before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you, Germa.
1: To you too. I, I really enjoyed this conversation with you and more of seeing you. Uh,
0: wow. Very it's long. very nice to connect. Thank you after for inviting you. Yeah. God bless. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.